the cost of a Big Mac would be like what triple of what it is currently. Yeah, like eleven dollars. Why would the government subsidize an industry that is poisoning not only the African American community, the Black and Brown communities, but everybody? You start looking at the tie-ins of just so many different industries and government industries as well, and they all get paid from this. What's it gonna take for people to put one and one together to get two here? People are so accustomed to sickness. People just think, well, this is just the way it is. You know, you get older, you get diabetes, you get heart disease, you die of a heart attack at 55. That's just normal. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries around the world and here in the U.S. Lots of great exam roomies listening in cities like St. Louis and Baltimore and El Paso, Texas. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 91 of season 4, number 286 overall, and it also happens to be a special conversation with the creative minds behind what many believe will become the next big vegan blockbuster. The film is They're Trying to Kill Us. Producer Keegan Kuhn is here, along with fellow producer and the star of the documentary, John Badass Vegan Lewis. And we're going to get an inside look at the film, which is actually the follow-up to Keegan's wildly popular smash hit, What the Health? But here we are present day, and they're trying to kill us. We'll actually examine food and social justice through the lens of hip-hop and urban culture. And it also features some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment and health, all of whom are coming together to share their perspective on why people of color, people who are living in underprivileged communities, why they are dying younger and experiencing rates of disease that dwarf their affluent counterparts. We're talking about heart disease and diabetes, high blood pressure, many forms of cancer, and obesity. And as you just heard Keegan say, all of that, it just seems normal. But there is nothing normal about half of an entire community living with obesity because that is the reality for African Americans. It's an astronomical number that only compounds all of those other diseases. And these are problems that, yes, they are plaguing the poorest neighborhoods, but you will also hear John talk about how it begins all the way up to the highest reaches of multi-billion dollar corporations. And in these struggling communities, a question for you, in these struggling communities, why is it that you can't walk five feet without passing a fast food restaurant or a liquor store, but then you have to travel miles to find a decent grocery store and to shop somewhere that isn't a 7-Eleven or a Quickie Mart? They're trying to kill us. This documentary, with all of its star power, is going to be a tremendous eye-opening experience for all of us, no matter what walk of life we come from. And we're gonna get an inside look into the film right now with John and Keegan. Gentlemen, thank you both very much for being here. Thanks for having us. John, let's start with you here. When you put this film together, you put an interesting spin on it 
uh, both of you did, but this one is through the lens of the hip hop community. So tell us a little bit about why that was important to this film and, you know, just really what drove you to try to bring this message forward? Yeah, uh, I would have to say, you know, hip hop, there is is twofold, pretty much. One is that hip hop is the most influential genre of all times. Like if you even think about it, I always tell people, if you really think about how influential it is, people, you know, they eat what the people eat, they drink what the people drink, they travel to where they travel, they wear the clothes that they wear, but they don't know this aspect that a lot of hip hop artists, uh, even if they're not full-time vegan, they dabble in it, like when they get ready for shows or when they're getting ready for tours or whatever the case is, because they know how healthy it is and health is wealth in general, but when you're an artist and you're trying to prolong your career, it's very important. The second fold is that hip hop has always been the news system of the community. You know, what mainstream media won't cover, hip hop will cover. And that's always been the case. A lot of people, including myself growing up, I got most of my, you know, news per se from the hip hop artists in the community. So it was the perfect tie in to bring something that's so important to the people and use this platform. Yeah. And, and I love the fact that that was said just specifically in the film is that hip hop was essentially the news service. You know, hip hop artists were reporters. I never really looked at it quite like that before. And I, I think that it would be hard for anyone in my position to look at it quite like that. But then if you think about it, you look back at those artists like Public Enemy, you know, and NWA who were really putting those messages out there in the mainstream for a lot of us for the very first time really eye-opening. And so even though you're not yeah. seeing them on the CBS Nightly News or anything like that, nonetheless, the, those guys are putting the facts out there. Um, and, and I would be remiss also uh, if uh, I didn't mention that even though this is a hip-hop film, you see uh, Dr. Neil Barnard in this film as well. Uh, so when you when you think hip-hop, you don't necessarily think Dr. B, but nonetheless, there he is. You never know uh, what's on his playlist, though. You never I'm, know. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know he's a Beatles fan. I know that he enjoys, you know, classic music uh, somewhat, but I, I don't know about the hip-hop, man. Maybe we'll find out. We'll, we'll see what's on his Spotify. Um, Keegan, uh, this is indeed the, uh, the long-awaited follow-up to What the Health. Um, it, it really brings to fact, uh, brings to light a lot of the facts that we didn't necessarily get to see in that first film. So talk to us about how this project differed for you from what the health that was just so groundbreaking and released what seven years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been working on the film for uh, almost exactly five years to this release. The, the main thing that's different about this film is that it deals with the, the social justice element of the, health disparities that exist, you know, what the health was while focused on the standard American diet and touched on social and environmental racism. This film is full front and it's, you know, doesn't hold any punches. It's like we, we go all the way with this project and, and really diving deep and looking at the intersections of diet, disease, institutionalized racism, poverty, um, government collusion with the industry and just tying all those things together and how they all work together to keep people sick, but how the fast food junk industry has really had very predatory practices towards Americans of color and really blowing the lid off that and how people are literally making billions of dollars off of killing people. 
And John, let me come back to you here. Let's try to connect those dots of what Keegan was just talking about here. One of the things that you cover eloquently in this film is the concept of subsidies. And you pointed out the fact that had the government not subsidized so much of this food uh, that is junk food, essentially, the cost mm -hmm. of a Big Mac would be like, what, triple of what it is currently? Yeah, like $11. That's the craziest thing about it. It's just that people don't think about that. So they, you know, it's like, why would the government subsidize an industry that is poisoning not only the African-American community, the black and brown communities, but everybody, but why would they do that? And it's, you start looking at the tie-ins of just so many different industries and uh, government industries as well. It's like, they're all tied in at a certain point and they all get paid from this. And how much money are we talking annually in these subsidies? It's It's got to be in the billions easily. Yeah, it's about $36 billion is what the all livestock industry is subsidized. And that includes the feed, grain, um, all of the crop insurance, everything that goes into it. It's it's massive. And, you know, to, to put that into perspective, um, the farmers in the United States receive more funding than all food stamps than all section eight housing. Um, mo more farmers are on this federal assistance program than there are people in section eight housing. And so it is one of the largest social welfare programs that no one talks about. People will, will often use these really racist or kind of hidden racist uh, arguments when they talk about social welfare programs like food stamps or, or SNAP, the supplemental nutrition assistance program. But they'll ignore the fact that farmers are receiving vastly more federal subsidies and welfare programs than people in need. Right. And, and one of the things that you guys point out in the film as well is that corn is one of these crops that is heavily subsidized. And you think, oh, well, corn's healthy. Well, here's the thing, right? That corn then, the majority of it is being used to feed pigs and animals that are then slaughtered and turned into this junk food, this unhealthy food uh, that people are eating. And and it's it's just, it's an enormous, an enormous issue. Um, and John, you got the opportunity to go to, this is one of my favorite parts of the film. I mean, it was just horrific in, in some of the things that we saw but just crazy, crazy important. You got the opportunity to go to a hog farm in North Carolina and you guys like one, you cover the smell and the effect that that has and, and, and some of the feces literally kind of aerosolizing and then going into the homes of people who live, I think within a three mile radius or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then of course the, the treatment uh, of the hogs. I mean, when you went there and you saw these conditions, and you know what the end product is, not just for these animals, but for the people who are consuming them. This must have been like an emotional day for you. You kept your composure on camera, but no doubt you left there with a lot to think about. Yeah, it was, it was very heavy. And uh, just to, just before I forget that part, it was a three mile radius because he had covered lagoons. Most of the hog farms don't have covered lagoons and it goes up to five miles. So that's even worse, um, which is interesting that he thought he was doing a great thing by having a covered lagoon and having these certain systems there. He thought he was pretty much had like the cleanest hog farm in America, which is it was just ironic to see. Um, but yes, leaving there, it was just very daunting, man. It was very 
it was dark. It was very, it was a dark experience, like to just be there at uh, one one thing and, and Keith can attest to that I, I really remember is that when we finally went inside of the actual, uh, I can't even call it a barn because it's, it, it's not like your traditional barn where you think about Little House on the Prairie and the, everybody's running wild and the, all the animals are doing their thing. They're cooped up in these bins and it's like uh, 20, 20 pigs in each bin with, within, the, in the, within the house. But one thing I noticed is that when the farmer walked in all the pigs, it was literally like, I hate to get biblical, but it was like the Red Sea. They all parted. They ran away from him in a sense. And when I walked down, they all kind of walked towards me. And it was just, it was this weird, eerie, like it just made my heart drop just to see it. Like they they were like, oh my God, it's him. And they like kind of started running away from the, the fence. And then when I walked, they ran towards the fence. It was like they could tell the difference in the aura or probably because he's just been there every day and no telling what how they treat them off camera, you know? Mm -hmm. No doubt. And you talk about off camera. For me, I think one of the top three, if not the top, you know, moment, you use the term heavy. So I'll use that here, too. The heaviest moment in the film for me was, and I don't want to spoil exactly what he said, but when that farmer was talking about how he knew what the impact of his food would be on the people who are consuming it. And mind you, this guy is a former tobacco farmer. So yeah. he knew the effect of those products as well. And what you wound up capturing here, Keegan, was essentially a moment that reminded me of when Robert Durst confessed to those murders at the end of that HBO documentary, The Jinx. This, to me, was really on par. It was the equivalent of that. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Um the, the farmer was very transparent on what his industry does and what he does for a living. And he didn't shy away from the fact that his farm has the potential to produce, you know, superbug viruses and bacteria that, you know, antibiotics have no effect on. He had no qualms talking about dumping, you know, millions and millions of pounds of animal waste and feces into the environment. He didn't hold back from the fact that his farm produces more CO2 and methane then 800 homes. Um, and then the, the full transparency that his industry is killing people and that he's killing people with polluted groundwater, it's killing people with pathogens. And it was just, it was shocking, honestly, to hear somebody be so honest about such a horrific industry because we're used to hearing just lies coming out of this industry. We're used to hearing them trying to cover up how disgusting and horrible it is for people's health for the animals and for the environment. And here was somebody who was just willing to say it. And honestly, it would be refreshing if what he said wasn't so disturbing. Absolutely. And it, it goes to the notion, I mean, this, this is one guy, but you know, he was so flippant about it and, and matter of fact, and cavalier, but it's clear to me that even though this is just one guy, whenever any farmer or, or any lobbyist in those industries tries to play dumb about these things, they are in fact, just bold faced lies right then and there. I mean, this is, this is common knowledge, John. Yeah. And we actually said it, we're like, man, don't you think you're going to get in trouble for this? And he was like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> he, he, like literally, he's like, like, he basically has been in the game so long. He's like, it, not, the, I don't want to say it's the mafia, but it was kind of like that, like, I've got skin in this game. I've been here for this long. They can't do anything to me kind of thing. Like, he didn't care 
about sharing it. In fact, the part that you're talking about, which not to give away the movie, but that part that you're talking about when he kind of professed what he did, he said that to me. And I actually said, hey, do you mind saying that again? Because Keegan was outside getting drone footage of the of the place. And I ran outside to get Keegan like, you won't believe what he just said. And Keegan's like, you think he'll say it again? I'm like, I'm like, he doesn't care. Like, he'll say it again. And we go back in. And we didn't even bother to mic him back up because, you know, we wanted to get it raw again. And he knew we were recording. It wasn't like we snuck the camera in. And he just said it again. And we were like, wow. Like, in fact, if you listen to it, you hear me chuckle a little bit because I'm like, I can't believe he just actually said this again. With, like, the way he laughed and chuckled with what he's done was just... It was crazy. Do you think that this was some kind of a subtle crisis of 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 uh, conscience there, or 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 or, or his moral no. compass? Like, what what no. is this? <laughs> no, that was that was. I'm damn near eighty years old, and I don't care anymore. That's what that was. <laughs> that that was. You know, we all got. I, my mom is my mom is eighty five years old. The stuff she says today, I'm like, mom, you can't say it. like, whoa, what cop like. I think, you know, they say, like, the older you get, the just less Fs you give. And he is at that point. Like, he just doesn't care. Like, like you said, he's been doing the tobacco for those many years. And then he, he switched over to the hog farming. He doesn't care. It, 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 he he knew we were recording everything he was saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you brought up your mom because she really is kind of the genesis, one of your big inspirations for this film, because she had her own health struggles that were diet driven. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, you know, 15, uh, 16 years ago, she, she was diagnosed with colon cancer and it just really hit the family hard. And, uh, I wasn't vegan at the time. Um, I had dabbled in vegetarianism, um, but I hadn't gone vegan and I just started doing more research, talking to doctors. I'm like, how did this happen? What's going on? And like the more and more I saw, I just saw that this, these foods not only led to just the cancers, but all these different things such as, you know, diabetes, high cholesterol, hypertension, heart disease. And like the list just kept going on and on. I'm like, wait a minute, like this isn't hidden information, but nobody's really talking about it. Mm -hmm. And um, that was something that really, really like hit home. It's like, so wait a minute, this could have been prevented. Everything my mom went through, everything other moms go through, everything the community goes through, everything the city, the state, the country. Wait a minute, we can prevent a lot of this? And I'm not saying that veganism, I've never, I'm not one of those people that says, oh, veganism is 100%, uh, you know, fail-proof plan. But if you can, can increase your chances of not even developing these diseases or developing these symptoms, why not go down that road? And mm. so that's where it kind of just sparked the idea. And it's, I mean, that's such a, uh, unfortunately, a, a common theme in, in so many black families. And that was really so well presented also in the film. You know, I mean, you have all of these celebrities, these hip hop stars, Dame Dash, uh, Maya, Styles P, Neo. And you've got Chris Paul in the NBA, John Sally. He won himself a championship. Billie Eilish, the singer, um, all talking about family members and even themselves who have had some struggles with it right down to, you know, people who have had limbs amputated, you know, and, and it's just crazy. And then, and then there's Eric Adams and I will not 
ever forget the conversation that you had with him that's included in the film where he's running down everything that he went through with the diabetes and the nerve damage and the blindness and uh, the blood pressure cholesterol like just the whole gamut and and he just he basically referred to it as the black package yeah. and i was just like dag gone man that is a heavy burden for anybody to carry and the crazy part is that that's an everyday thing for a lot of us like I know it's heavy for a lot of people to like just witness it for the first time, but I've had aunts, I've had 400 pound aunts and I've had to deal with their amputations and, you know, stuck in chairs and not moving and these kind of, these kind of debilitating diseases. And that's a, I don't know anybody like Damon said in the movie, I don't know anybody that doesn't have that uncle, that aunt, that cousin, somebody that passed away way too early and come to find out that a lot of it was totally preventable. Mm -hmm. and, and the funny thing is, is there there's still this disconnect, even though, you know, you get as far as limb amputation, you get as far as blindness, you get you know, high cholesterol, diabetes, uh, just so many things, heart disease, for goodness sakes, all of this. And I, I think it was Cedric the Entertainer in the film who said who had a family member just list all of that stuff out. But then he also followed that up, Keegan, with but at least I have my health. And that is, it, it is mind boggling to me why anybody of any race could really think that way. And you've been really kind of pushing for the idea that diet is responsible for so many of these preventable diseases. What's it gonna take for people to really be able to put one and one together to get two here? Yeah, yeah, it's a hard one. You know, I think people are so accustomed to sickness and people are so accustomed to, family members being sick. And this is, you know, across the cultures, but particularly in the United States, that people just think, well, this is just the way it is. You know, you get older and you get diabetes, you get heart disease, you die of a heart attack at 55. Like that's just normal. And it's presenting that other side and showing actually this isn't normal. This is not how humanity should be living. This is not how we historically lived and that there is another way. And so I honestly, you know, my perspective is that this has to come from grassroots. This has to come from education. I really feel that people can't make informed decisions unless they have all the information. And right now there is a censorship on information. And so getting a film out like this, that shows that there is another way that you don't have to necessarily die from type two diabetes at 45 years old, that you can actually prevent a lot of the killer chronic diseases simply by changing what you eat. And I think that for people who aren't really familiar with the gravity of the issues that are being addressed in this film, they will think that, well, it's all you have to do is eat better, right? It's that easy, right? If you eat healthier foods, you won't have these problems. But what is addressed in the film is that the access to these healthy foods is almost non-existent in a lot of these impoverished areas. And you did a really good job of pointing out, you know, these food deserts where there is not a, a grocery store readily available. There are plenty of fast food restaurants. There are plenty of gun stores. There are plenty of liquor stores, none of which will get you to that long and healthy life that we, we, we also desperately want. So, Kind of explain why, John, it is that there are these these neighborhoods that are high in crime, high in drug use, uh, high in calories and fat with all of these fast food restaurants, convenience stores. But why aren't there grocery stores, too? I think it, you know, and I, I, I hate to be that guy, but I really don't hate to be that guy. But it results all the way back to slavery. 
um, when the slaves were released, they didn't set them up with communities that were basically thriving. They said, think about it. People, a lot of people think that when slavery ended, <laughs> that people were like happy, like, oh, you know what? Go away, go do your thing. Like, we're so happy that you're free now. There was a lot of resistance against this. There was a lot of uh, pissed off people that didn't want this to happen. So if you think about that, the communities that are still trying to get their way out of this system, they started off eight miles behind everybody else and it was only an 8.1 mile race. So you know what I'm saying? Like now they're trying to catch up. The system has gotten better, yeah. But has it gotten its best? No. So now we have to basically get to a point where we understand that these systems where the grocery stores, the premier grocery stores aren't in the so-called hood or, or underprivileged communities. Now we have to see that this system is broken. And sometimes you can't fix a broken system. Sometimes you just have to reinstate a new one. And when you were discussing this in the film, I couldn't help but to think back to my time as a reporter here uh, in Washington, D.C. And there were two instances that, that really stuck out to me. And I mean, they could not be polar opposites. It's just mind blowing to me. There was the very first opening of a Chick-fil-A in Washington, D.C. And I mean, you had media assembling there like the Pope was going to be giving a lecture. And then you had people coming all over the globe to come and get that free chicken sandwich. Like it's a whole cult thing to be one of those first hundred people to go through the doors to get this chicken sandwich. You've got city officials there talking about how great it is to have Chick-fil-A in the neighborhood and how you know important this is for Washington, D.C. Now. In contrast, down the street a couple of miles is a Safeway that had just opened, right? A major grocery store, plenty of healthy food. And that Safeway got zero media attention. But Keegan, I would also be remiss if I didn't add that that Safeway was only built after that neighborhood had been gentrified. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, the, the historical racism that John talked about, is, you know, still part of the government today, that there's this white supremacist ideology that permeates on a national level, state level and a city level. And so cities will permit more liquor stores, more gun stores and community of color than they will allow in a white community. They will, they will set up where they will say, this community doesn't need a grocery store. They, they've, they've already got 50 convenience stores, which you, under the USDA, oftentimes those will be labeled as, uh, as food marts, even if all they're selling is you know, potato chips and just junk food. Um, and so this, this whole system too, it, it, the private companies that set up business too, they would, it comes from racism as well. They say, oh, well, this community doesn't, have the money to support a grocery store. And so we're not going to put a, a grocery store there, except for <laughs> people are eating. They're still eating. It's like they're still spending their dollars, but they're spending on the only places that they have access to, which might be, yeah, the the fast food place or the convenience store or the local deli, because that is all that's there because a major white owned corporation won't put a grocery store in their neighborhood. And again, I think it really just comes back to the systemic racism that plagues the society. And real quick, Chuck, I'm sorry, just to add to that too, we, uh, during like studying and, and researching for this film, one thing that I saw also was that 
you know, the average McDonald's brings in $4 million a year. So the money's there. Uh, like uh, Ruby Lathan, she talked about in the movie, you know, like where they say the money's not there, but the money's there. If it's going to all these businesses, these Dollar Generals, these, you know, fast food chains, these McDonald's, these pizzas, all this stuff, the money's there. So why not put something that's healthy there? I mean, you raise a heck of a point. You raise a, a heck of a point there. Um, one of the things, John, I wanted to ask you about as well is the fact that African-Americans, uh, even you know, if, if you have a white family living in an impoverished area and you have a black family living in the same area, uh, the health outcomes are still vastly different. And it reminded me of growing up. Uh, family oftentimes didn't have a lot of money. There were times when we had to eat from a food bank. Uh, utilities were always being shut off. Um, and, and that was that was really humbling. But what I didn't realize until I watched this film was even with that and the lack of access to good quality, healthy food, um, my the my life expectancy, I think, would be higher. My rates of chronic disease would uh, would be lower uh, compared to African-American families. How is that even possible if we're facing similar circumstances? Like what is happening there to cause that? Well, there there's a lot of. Uh factors that go into that as well. One being that, you know, the hospital system doesn't treat uh, people of color the same. Um, a lot of times we found that literally this is this is not the movie saying this, this is research that has been done that on multiple occasions that the hospital system, doctors, nurses, they think that black people can tolerate pain more. So they think we overreact more when we say something's wrong. Uh, another thing is you you look at different instances where black people have been mistreated uh, when it comes to the medical system. You look at the Tuskegee program, you look at so many different things to where there's a distrust now in the black community where they don't even want to go to the hospital. I, I deal with it with my own family, my own mother sometimes. You know, she doesn't want to go to the doctor because she thinks they're going they just want money from her or they're going to do something wrong or every time she goes, it's bad news. So there's so many factors there to, you know, that accumulate to where there's this not only this mistrust, but there's also this mistrust is backed up when they do go to the hospital. They're not treated the same. Uh, Serena Williams just dealt with the instance when she had her child where she uh, became ill and could have passed away if things wouldn't have gotten better. But they basically kind of ignored her her symptoms of what was going on with her after her childbirth. Yeah, and and the maternity mortality rate for Black women is through the roof. It's a Black women are about four times more likely to die from complications of childbirth than white women, and it's not because Black women have some sort of death difficulty having babies. It's because of racism, and, and Black babies die at higher rates than white babies but only when cared for by white doctors. If black babies are cared for by black doctors, their, their infant mortality rate is basically the same as white babies. And so it really just shows that the systemic racism plagues, you know, even the doctors, the people who are supposed to be helping us, they come from a culture that values some lives more than others and devalues other lives. And so that's a big part of this film is, is showing that Systemic racism is at the heart of this. And the reason why white impoverished communities still have access to more grocery stores than the equally impoverished black communities is because of racism. 
and that we have to we have to challenge the systemic racism to be able to heal all of these other problems. Two more points that uh, that I want to raise uh, before we wrap things up here is uh, one of the things, Keegan, that was also discussed in the film was that so many of these foods that are available in the convenience stores, these high fat, high salt, uh, high sugar foods, they are as addictive as a lot of drugs are. Right. And so if the only option that somebody has is to purchase a bag of Cheetos essentially and eat that for dinner or chicken nuggets or that $4 Big Mac that we were talking about at the top of the show. They are becoming addicted to these kinds of foods and they don't even realize that they're, they're struggling with what I would call substance abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Food addiction is real. And, and if you live in, if you struggle with any sort of, you know, mental struggles, you know, depression and depression caused by your environment, of course, you're going to find comfort wherever you can. And if you have these highly addictive foods, you know, foods that have a lot of processed sugar, which can be, can stimulate the same parts of your brain that you would get from, you know, cocaine, then of course, yeah, you're going to go to that. But you're also going to go to that because that is literally, that's all available in your neighborhood. There's not a grocery store. There's not a farmer's market. There's not a fruit stand. You were going to eat because you have to eat. And so there's part of the conversation too is, is to not even use the term food desert anymore to say nutrition desert because people are eating. They're not dying of starvation, but there's no nutrition in the food or or food swamps is, you know, a lot of people think is a more appropriate term that, hey, there's food, but it is just garbage and people are subsisting and, and dying prematurely off of just garbage. And this garbage is being dumped in communities, you know, and this is a concerted effort to market these products on communities of color, um, to push these products in communities of color, and then to limit access to healthy foods. I mean, for example, the WIC program, the Women, Infants and Children um, Supplemental Nutrition Program, that, ex that a lot about, you know, I think it's about one in 10 Americans is part of some sort of nutrition program they limit how many your access to fruits and vegetables. They say, no, you can have access all the milk that you want, all the dairy that you want, pretty much all the meat that you want, but fruits and vegetables, things that are actually health, healthy and health promoting, those things are limited. And, and why? Why would you limit access to healthy food for communities of color? And so as a lot of the folks in the film would say, it very much seems like they are trying to kill us. And, and John, that's a, a perfect segue to the final question is that you in the film also you did a really good job of pointing out that police violence, the deaths from police, tragic, uh, overdose deaths, completely preventable. But even if you couple those together, they pale in comparison to the number of people who are dying from heart disease every year. And then you look at those those things, the police brutality, Black Lives Matter. We've seen massive protests in recent years about that. But could you imagine like if the streets were being flooded with people who are protesting food insecurity and the fact that they don't have access to these healthier foods? I mean, what a thing that would be. Yeah. And, you know, it's very remarkable to even think that one of the major problems in the community is that we've become accustomed to being treated bad. Like we, we've become accustomed to this, we, it's a norm. Uh, Keegan brought up a great point about mental health. One of the, one of the things I always say is that, uh, I, get a, I get this question a lot when people say, you know, is mental health, uh, is the damage, you know, bigger now than it was, or is it just more coverage? And I was like, you gotta really think about this. 
as a black man, as you know, my ancestors, everybody's ancestors within the community, we've dealt with mental health since we got to this country. It's just nobody talked about it. You can't tell me that a slave that's out there on the field for 20 hours a day getting beat, having his his wife raped, having his kids killed, there's no mental health problems going on. It's just we have become so accustomed to it that we have to just deal with it on our own. And to go along with what you're saying, Chuck, imagine if we all banded together and said, all right, enough of this. Let's get our, our mental health together. Let's get our physical health together. Let's get our kids together. Let's get our, our spouses together. Let's make sure that we're a healthy community all the way across the board. Imagine the impact that would have on not only just, okay, our food industry, but our school system, our government. Imagine if we all banded together for that. And this film is going to band a lot of people together. It blends that hip hop community, all of those artists who a lot of our viewers and listeners may not necessarily be familiar with, but it blends them with uh, the doctors and dietitians who they are familiar with. Dr. Barnard, Dr. Michael Greger, Maggie Q, the actress is in that. Uh, Milton mm -hmm. Mills, Dr. Milton Mills is in there. You guys did such a wonderful job of pulling everybody together to get this important message out. And I'm just so thrilled um, that this is is going to be released. November 11th is the release date. And both uh, to you, thank you very much. Also, uh, the first week of sales, uh, you, you will give uh, half of the sales to the Physicians Committee so that we can continue our important nutrition work. And if you are watching this right now, you're listening to this, click the link in the episode notes or in the show description and pick up your copy of They're Trying to Kill Us. 50% of those proceeds will go to the physicians committee for that first week and on top of that uh keegan uh the first million dollars in sales overall is going to charities yeah so we're we're doing this really what i think is a, a brilliant cooperative release that john came up with which is sharing and so our goal is the you know 50 percent of profits are being split among organizations like PCRM and who have their own unique links. So if folks want to support PCRM and support the important work that you all are doing, use that unique link and 50% of sales will go to PCRM. And then the 50% that we keep, the up to the first million dollars we're donating entirely to charity. Um, and so, you know, John and I've worked on this film for five plus years. And from this onset, we wanted to make sure that this film fed people we fed people figuratively and literally and so we want to give back in a, in a major way so we really want people to to support the project to be entertained and be educated but to also support good causes so we're deeply grateful for everybody for all of their support and we want to see this film be as big as it possibly can this is a must watch, an absolute must watch for anybody who is interested in not only uh, helping themselves but making a healthier community for us all to live in. It is a great film of understanding, of insight, and it just has one of the more important messages that could ever possibly be put out there. It's the follow-up to What the Health. November 11th is the release date. It is They Are Trying to Kill Us. John Lewis, Badass Vegan, and Keegan Kuhn, thank you both very much for being here. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us, brother. Once again, a link to purchase the film so that you can support the Physicians Committee is in the episode notes. 
They're Trying to Kill Us is coming out at just the right time. It does a wonderful job of capturing where we are today as a society, and it pushes for progress in areas where we have been falling behind, and many of us didn't even realize that we were, in fact, failing there. But that is exactly the point of the film. And as the saying goes, once your eyes are opened, things can't be unseen. Just think about the awakening that you had with your own health when you learned that a lot of what you were taught about nutrition was so far off base, and you were still eating things that put you at high risk for all of the diseases that we talked about. But now you know differently, and now you are a lot healthier for it. You discovered the problem and you were able to correct it. And today we also heard a lot about the foods that are widely available in these underserved communities. The fast food, the junk food for days, while fresh fruit and fresh vegetables were nowhere to be found. And the ill effects of that are made abundantly clear, but now there is even more evidence that all of that fat is putting our lives at risk. And for details on that, let's head to the exam room news desk. It's no secret that eating too much fat is unhealthy, but now new research is showing that it can also significantly increase your chance of having a stroke. And experts say the quality of fat that you're eating may be far more important than the quantity of fat. And animal fat, they say, is what should be left off the plate. The research shows that eating fat from animal foods, such as bacon, increases the odds you'll have a stroke more so than the fat that is found in vegetables. These findings come from 117,000 healthcare professionals who were tracked for nearly three decades as part of the Nurses' Health Study and Health Professionals Follow-Up Study. And there is a link to that study right now in the episode notes. If you like today's show, don't forget to subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your shows. And please also leave a five-star rating so we can bring this message to as many people as possible, the people who need this the most. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to John Lewis and Keegan Kuhn for being here. Please go check out They're Trying to Kill Us. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>